This last month, we had a really good time. There was five groups set up in church at home. Some of the pictures are going to be on the screen. That was out in St. Lazar one of the weeks. And that was one of the church at home, church in the park or church at home in the park in Kirkland and some of the kids as well that were there. That was really cool. I didn't get a picture of all the groups, but that's the DDO group having ice cream. If you want an ice cream, we slacked off. We just went for ice cream every night, just joking. And that's one of the Dorval groups. There was another Dorval group as well. Really great great. Um, just, I heard just some really good things from those involved in church at home the last couple of months, uh, last month, sorry, uh, last couple of weeks, uh, particularly the conversation, the discussion, uh, the community and connections, this series that um, uh, kind of took over for that month, which we're going to use as well today, called Address the Mess, was really encouraging, uh, brought up a lot of great learning and application uh, for people as they walk through it. And for some of you who who weren't part of that or away or didn't connect to one of the groups. Here's like a little really brief summary of this, of the last few weeks of this idea of, of address the mess. Here's a couple of things uh, we'll share. So the first week we walked through this kind of important piece, awareness of our mess awakens us to something outside ourselves of which we are accountable. So this, uh, just this awareness that all of us at some point, whether we have been, are in at the moment or will be in a mess at some point, awakens us to something outside of ourselves that makes us accountable. We recognize that um, our messes are important and we need to pay attention to them. But another piece of week one was this, that our mess brings us together and our mess brought God closer. Our mess brought God closer, that God so loved the world or so loved the mess and all the messy people in the world, including us, that he sent um, Christ. Week two, we, we said this, even if you don't follow Jesus into a mess, or I'll say the first line, you can't pray your way out of a mess that you behaved yourself into. That was a really jarring line for some of us. You can't pray your way out of a mess that you behaved yourself into. And it's not that God will not help you walk through that, but we we also ended with this. If you didn't follow Jesus into a mess, you can still follow him out of one. Uh, Often we find ourselves in messes we didn't follow Jesus into, but he graciously invites us to follow him out of them. Week three, we talked about this, that God loves us so much Uh, or too much to leave us in our mess. And we just processed that truth uh, through some scripture. And then the last week was this idea that the formation of our character, things like integrity, honesty, patience, self-control, will prevent us from future messes. Not guarantee us from ever getting into a mess, but helpful in preventing us from future messes. And today, uh, there's this one last piece of this series that we're going we're gonna to watch, actually. It's an interview, and uh, it's a great standalone message. So even if you weren't part of the series, that's okay. But it's a great piece that connects us to, uh, to what we've been learning about for those of us who were in church at home. And it's this, the theme of it is moving towards a mess. We, we recognized in this series that we are all in some way a mess, I mean, God didn't send Jesus to the world because everything was cool. Uh, We're all in some way, shape, or form a mess or have been in a mess or will be in a mess. But then what happens even as God shapes us and changes us and works in us and works through our messes and brings us closer to each other through them and brings us closer to him through them as well and we get to see his grace uh, and his power at work. But what about moving towards a mess? moving towards the messes around us. Not in a judgmental way, because as we've recognized, we have all in some way, shape, or form been a mess, but 
There are other messes around us as well. Jesus said these words. Uh, we read them in Matthew and in, in Luke as well as someone else is dialoguing with him. And we call it the great commandment where Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love your neighbor. And it's, it's such a powerful few phrases in the New Testament. We call it the great commandment. And summing up everything that the scriptures points to, Jesus says this is the heart of what it's about, loving God and loving your neighbor. And in Luke, Jesus follows up because someone asks him a question. Well, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Almost like kind of a question of avoidance. Jesus, tell me who my neighbor is so I know who I don't have to worry about. Tell me who my neighbor is so maybe these people over here I don't have to be concerned about or care about. Tell me specifically, kind of in line item form, uh, who I should love and how I should love this person. And, sometimes, and that question came out of a motivation of kind of like, let me, let me make a boundary here so I don't get involved in too many messes. And Jesus shares a story in response to that question. Really popular story called The Good Samaritan. He tells a story of, uh, of a man who's hurt on the side of the road, uh, on the road um, to Jericho, and two other people pass by him, a religious leader, a scribe, uh, you know, very apparently nice people, but they don't stop by to help him. But this Samaritan, who's often frowned upon by the Jews and the religious leaders, stops, um, walks towards this man, helps him, and serves him, meets his need in the moment, helps him in that mess, takes care of him, and equips him for um, the next couple of days. And that story is such a powerful story uh, for when people, even like me, ask that question to Jesus. Jesus, who's my neighbor? Like, is there a way out of this? Like, maybe this person isn't my neighbor. (laughs) Maybe this is a mess I don't have to walk towards. And that story challenges me, and I think it challenges all of us. Who, you know, where are the messes around us? How do we love our neighbor? You know, this, the last few weeks, the series has really been about the messes we've been involved in whether because of our own choices or the circumstances around us. But today, it kind of turns outward and asking the question, how do we move towards the mess? So we're going we're gonna to watch an interview. Um, Andy Stanley, who's the pastor of North Point Church in Atlanta, interviews a guy named John who's worked in uh, several parts of the world in really interesting situations with all kinds of people. And uh, he actually wrote a book called Move Towards the Mess. And so we're going to jump right into the interview. And then if there's some questions or comments, we're going to kind of open it up at the end, um, whether you have questions questions or comments from the series or from the message today, and uh, that's how we'll wrap it up today. So take a look and listen as we, we follow along. Likewise, I have invited one of my good friends and a friend to all of our churches, Dr. John Hambrick, to have a conversation with me. Would you please welcome to the stage a big multi-campus welcome to Dr. John Hambrick. Hey, boss. The reason that uh, John is actually the director of, of Starting Point, um, he is also a staff, serves as a staff coach and does staff development here at Buckhead Church. He's been on one of our church staffs for um, over 12 years. He's got his doctorate from Columbia Seminary, so he really is Dr. John Hambrick. We don't just call him that, so we can call him Dr. John. Um, he's been married to Patty, and next month will be 39 years. Yep. 39 years married to Patty. We think the marriage may work. Yeah. So if you can make it one more year and hit 40, we'll have you back. And Pat, we'll... Patty's not sure about that. 
last year. We'll see what happens. I'll yeah, you got to make it to 40. 40, 40 is a big one. Um, then the reason that I wanted to talk to John about this is about five years ago, John coined a phrase that has become like marching orders for our churches, for our staff, for many of you, for our volunteers. Um, as we were trying to uh, just to figure out what is our posture as a group of churches toward the community, toward people who are dealing with messy things, messy family things, messy financial things, messy drug addiction things, just, you know, life gets messy. And in one of the conversations, John said within the course of the conversation, we are a church or we are, are an organization that walks toward the messes. We walk toward, we're not going to do policy, pa- policy papers. We're not going to say, here's what our church, where our church stands on this or that. When, when we're confronted with messy situations, because again, as we've said through this series, we all were a mess, are a mess, or one dumb decision away from making a mess. John said, we walk toward the messes, and we love this. So, a little while after that, that was five years ago, John, uh, because this is a life message for him, actually wrote a book that came out last month. I'll show you a picture of the book. The book is entitled, Move Toward the Messes. Um, I love the subtitle. We're going to talk about it. The Ultimate Fix for the Boring Christian Life. So, as we thought, talk, thought about this series, Address the Mess, I wanted to talk to John about how do we know when and how do we wade into the messes that other people have made. But before we do that, one thing, other thing you need to know about John, John, many of you have been involved at some point in Young Life or sponsored Young Life or when Young Life in high school. John actually started Young Life in Ventura, California. And your very first Young Life meeting was a bit messy. That would be a good place to jump in. <clears throat> yes, so nobody knew what Young Life was in Ventura. I'd never been there before. So we felt like we needed to do a big event. So we did a thing called a fifth quarter. You know, the game has four quarters. Then the fifth quarter... High school game. High, yeah, school, high school football game. game. That's right, high school football game. And um, we rented out this huge hamburger restaurant, got live music, games, food, and stuff. And we were just hoping and praying for 100 kids to show up. Well, 500 kids showed up, plus... Two gangs, the Pierpont Rats, which were a white surf punk gang, and a Latino gang from Satakoy. And so they were in there, and we they were all They all came having... to your Young Life meeting. What's that? They all came to the yeah, Young Life meeting. Yeah, they were all meeting. there. It's just, and that was the kind of folks you hope you're going to connect with. However, they didn't stay in the restaurant. At some point, I saw the Pierpont Rats circle out, and it turned out that they got into a gang fight in the parking lot while we were having a good time in there. So welcome to Young Life Ventura. Yeah, so it was a mess. Zemes. Okay, other than that, tell us, tell us a little bit about why this is a big deal for you. I mean, you're the one who said, we address the mess, we address the mess. And then, this is such a life message for you, you wrote this book. But where did it begin for you? So, after we got Young Life up and running, we moved to London, England. Uh, Patty and JD and Carol and I. And we were there five years, and I was working at a church, and this church in London, central London, had a, a soup kitchen on site, so we were dealing with homeless people every day. And then there's a thousand stories. Some of them are funny. Some of them are sad. Some of them are scary. But this was just our daily reality. So I roll into church one Sunday, or one Monday morning, actually, and uh, the receptionist says, hey, there's a guy in your office. I said, well, who is it? Said, I don't know. It's just a guy in your office. So I walk in, and there's Terry. Terry is a gay, Irish, homeless drug abuser. And he had been out all night in the clubs of London, high on ecstasy, and he'd run out of drugs, he'd run out of money, and he somehow lands in my office, and he is howling mad. So I just knew, okay, this is going to be a challenging few minutes. So the first thing he says is, well, I'm gay, you know. And I said, well, congratulations, Terry. I've had gay friends my whole life. We're going to get along fine. And this is how many years ago? This is in the 1990s. 90, okay. So then the next thing he says is, 
but I'm not particularly attracted to you. <laughs> you know, this is 20 years ago, so the package has changed a little right. bit. <laughs> yeah. But still, it kind of zinged me, and I, and I said, hold up, I'm a heterosexual, do I want to be attractive to gay men? It was confusing to me, and this is all in my head, my vanity started to have an argument with my sexual orientation at that point. <laughs> so I'm just trying to act like everything's cool. And then uh, the next thing he says lands pretty hard. He says, yeah, and, and you Christians are all a bunch of hypocrites. That hurt. So I was talking to Terry, and I realized he arrived at that conclusion because he had heard the name of Jesus his whole life, and he had never experienced the love of Jesus' people. So he was angry. So we started meeting together. We met together for about a year. Um, Sometimes they were planned. Sometimes they weren't. Sometimes he would just show up. Sometimes he was high. Sometimes he was sober. Sometimes he was angry. Sometimes he was not. Sometimes we took three steps forward. Sometimes we took four steps backward. But I felt after, as the year went by, we were starting to make a little bit of progress. In fact, at one point, Terry even got a job as a conductor on one of those red double-decker buses that you see in London. So I was starting to go, okay, there is some hope here. And then Terry didn't show up one day. And then he didn't show up the next day. And I never saw Terry again. He vanished. And you know, he was pretty much homeless, so it wasn't like we could go to his house and knock on his door. The bus company didn't know where he was. He's just gone. And we didn't know if he died. We didn't know if he'd gone back to Ireland. We didn't know if he just said, I am not meeting with those church people anymore. But I never saw him again. But I never forgot him either. Now, when you, this, this story's in the book, and when I read it, and then when we talked about it, the thing that, that and this is going to set us up for a discussion, I thought, okay, you're seeing homeless people all the time. Like many of us, depending on where we work and play and live, we, we see homeless people all the time or people in need. So th- that wasn't new, but what was, what was different is you decided to go, go in deep with this one guy. I'm, I can't invest, I can't spend this much time with everybody, but I'm going to spend a significant amount of time with this one person. I'm going to really wade into his mess. Wh- what were you thinking? Why? Well, for me... Terry became the guy in the parable, the wounded guy on the side of the road. And he was wounded in a different way, but just as wounded. And I said, I I am not going to be another Christian that walks by Terry and just gives Terry more reason to be angry at us. So I'm going to spend time with him. I'm going to be with him. I'm going to walk with him as long as he wants to walk with me. And... um, and so, and when we talked about this, you just felt like, and I don't, I don't want to super spiritualize, you just kind of knew, this is the one, this is the guy, it was like a tap on the shoulder, it was like a John, this isn't a, hey, answers questions, hey, we'll just get back to dealing with the masses, you just kind of knew. Yeah, it's one of those divine nudges. Yep. And um, I got to say this, I don't know if that year Terry and I spent together changed Terry much, but what I can tell you for sure is that that year I spent with Terry changed me. Now... Let's, let's go a little bit deeper with, with us, okay? We all know what you're talking about. Every single one of us, religious, non-religious, Christian, non-Christian, have had those moments, and it's not specifically, in fact, it's not even primarily home, you know, homeless people. It's people in our neighborhoods. It's that, it's that oh, you know, there's that, there's that name again, I know what he wants, I know what she wants. They only call when they need something. Why is it that when we, you know, to go back to the parable, we see the need on the side of the road, either literally or somebody in our family, somebody that we work with, what is it in us that hesitates to take that call, to return that email, to say the words, 
that we dread to say, what can I do to help? And we know they're going to have a really good answer that's going to consume a lot of our time. What is that in us that hesitates because we know we ought to do this? Yep. I think there's three things that come into play there. The first thing has to do with convenience. Moving toward the mess is not very convenient. And we're busy people. We are the busiest culture in the history of the planet. And there's nothing wrong with being busy necessarily, but there's a point beyond which we become too busy. And we become so busy that we don't have room for messy people anymore. In fact, when a messy person shows up in our life, we get kind of irritated. And how dare you get into my perfectly orchestrated, hyper-planned life? I don't have time for you. And so it's a matter of convenience. You know, the priest and the Levite, I think they were probably busy folks. And it wasn't like they were going to do something bad. They were going to probably some sort of religious meeting, which is fine. But they didn't have any time in their lives. They didn't have any capacity for this wounded guy by the side of the road. And I think that's a problem for us. I think sometimes we get so busy that we are too busy to follow Jesus. So there's kind of a... a, a question you can ask that's kind of a gut check to see where you are in all this. And this is terrible, by the way. Well, it's painful for it me. Painful. It's painful Let's for all of us. And here, here's the gut check. You'll know you are too busy when messy people are inconveniences rather than opportunities. You'll know you're too busy when messy people are inconveniences rather than opportunities to love somebody. Hmm. And it's a problem in a, in a hyper-busy culture like ours. Second thing, so we can get this off the screen okay, pretty quick. Yes, yeah. Yeah. The second thing has to do, I think, with comfort. Moving toward the mess is not a particularly comfortable thing. And we love comfort. This culture loves comfort. We work toward it. We work toward it, yeah. It's the goal. Exactly. We love our comfort zones. There's nothing wrong with comfort zones. They're a great place to recuperate, but they're not a great place to live because nothing much happens in your comfort zone. And if you spend too much time there, it starts to get boring. We will never meet the best version of ourselves inside our comfort zone. You gotta say that again. That is such a powerful statement. One more time. I hope I can remember it. We, I can remember it. You can remember it. Okay, we'll be fine. We will never meet the, the best, best version, version of, of ourselves, ourselves inside our, our comfort zone. We will meet the best version of ourselves when we exit our comfort zone and are out there moving toward the mess where God is using that chaos, those uncomfortable circumstances to mold and shape us. Mm-hmm. That's where we're really going to grow. I love this next statement. Can we put that one up here? Yeah. This is is so powerful. This goes right to the heart of what your book is about. If we insist on comfortable, boredom is inevitable. And and the reason, if I say one more thing thing about this, when when I was reading John's book, and and again, this is the subtitle of the book or a version of the subtitle of the book. As a pastor, from time to time, we get emails or letters from people like, Andy, I'm leaving Buckhead Church, I'm leaving Gwinnett Church, I'm leaving. we have a lot of churches you can leave. Sometimes they just swap churches, that's fine, okay? But sometimes they leave the whole system and they say, you know, I'm just not getting anything out of it and I'm not offended. I'm like, hey, you've been listening to me preach for 10 years, go somewhere else. But then when I have a conversation with those individuals or couples and scratch beneath the surface, they're just comfortable. And they think that if I go to a different church and get different information, it's going to jack up and invigorate my Christian experience. This is the issue. Because you do not get bored with your faith if you are addressing the messes around you. So I, I, I love this idea of connecting, addressing the mess with boredom and being comfortable. Following Jesus never has and never will be boring. 
it gets boring when we stop following him and wow. say, I'm just going to hole up in my comfort zone. Mm. Now, want to go to the third one? Yeah, I think there's a third issue, and I think it has to do with control. When you are moving toward the mess, we're not in control. And we love control. We like to fix problems and solve issues and take charge. And what I found out with Terry was I couldn't control Terry's anger. I couldn't control Terry's drug abuse. And for a while, I was very frustrated until I realized, hold up, Hambrick, God doesn't want you to try to control Terry. He doesn't want you to try to fix Terry. He, I realize God just wants me to be with Terry. He just wants me to love him. He wants me to walk along beside him. And when I realized that, the pressure was off. I wasn't trying to fix Terry anymore. And I was able to start loving him. And just being with him. Just being with him. Yeah, yeah and that's the thing that God uses. Nobody likes to be fixed. And so from that experience, I learned this. People aren't projects. Now, this is a ch- challenging to me personally because I'm wired to embrace problems that have solutions or I think I can find the solution and things that can be fixed. And when I, am, when I encounter a messy situation, messy marriage, um, something going on with somebody in the community, if, if I look at it and I think, you know what, there's no fix. There's no resolution. There's never going to be a bow. We're never going to be able to stick a fork in it and be done. There's no end to this. That's when I start to shut down. And I think one of the most powerful parts of your presentation of the book is the whole idea that the goal isn't to address messes we can address the way we want to address them, but to simply be with people and to love people. And as you just said, and then the pressure's off. But I think this is a big deal for, for some of us. We're wired this way. Yep, and the, the cool thing is that God's got this. You know, I never saw Terry again, but you know, God knew exactly where Terry was. And I have every confidence that someday I'm, I'm gonna see Terry again, and I'll hear the story about how even though Hamrick dropped out of the picture, God continued to walk with Terry, and for all I know, sent some other Christians along beside him. Yep. So the good news here is even though we're not in control, God is. Yep. And what you said is so important too. Sometimes it is a sequence of people that interact with a specific mess to bring about resolution. And, but if we're not available, then we are a missing ingredient or somebody's gonna miss out on what God has called us to do because we didn't listen to that, that nudge. Yep. All right, can I ask another question? Please. All right, so. I'm not doing anything else. No, this is this. So. <laughs> Good. So this, and this is kind of almost a silly question because we've talked about it, but again, you have some great insight around this. What is the real win for Christians? I mean, when, I mean, this is something we're called to do as Christians, and we're going to talk about in a minute that everybody obviously can address the, the mess that other people have created in their lives. But what is specifically, why is this so critical for us Christians? This is not an add-on. This isn't ancillary. This isn't for the, you know, the A students. This is for everybody. Why? Yep. Well, I think there's a, a, several answers to that question. First of all, if we're willing to move toward the mess, people are going to be helped. They're going to be healed. They're going to be encouraged. They're not going to be quite so lonely anymore. They're going to know that somebody cares enough about them to be with them. And, you know, if that was the only reason, that would be enough. Hmm. But there's some other things to consider, too. The second one is, if we will move toward the mess, God will be honored because people will start to see more clearly that God is compassionate. And that's so important, such an important corrective. Then there's another one. If we can hit critical mass on this, in other words, if enough of us Christians can start to do this, we have a chance to change the way our country feels about the church. 
Because right now, you read probably the same polls I do, the church is not highly thought of in America these days, for the most part. They tend to think of us as these religious people that walk by suffering people because we're on our way to some sort of meeting and nobody knows what we do in those religious meetings, but we're so busy with our religious agenda that we walk by suffering people. And if we could start to change, if we could start to make time to be with those suffering people, our country, I think, would start to change the way they think about the church. They go, well, you know what? I don't know if I'm ever going to believe what those Christians believe, but I'm sure glad they're around. I'm sure glad they're here because when I fall down, they're there to pick me up. When my friend's suffering, guess what? A Christian shows up and is going to help them along. So it has the chance to be a game changer for the church in America. Yep. Anything else on that? Well, one other thing. I think moving toward the mess can move us from boredom to engagement. A lot of people think the opposite of boredom is entertainment. But I don't think that's true, not in any sort of a meaningful way. Entertainment, of course, is fun, but it doesn't last for very long. I think the real solution to boredom is being engaged. And what I've seen That now, is a huge idea. That, that's just big. I don't and, see anybody nodding or taking notes, so I just have you, to tell but, you, that is so huge. I mean, the, 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 the Christians listening or watching that are, that, are so, that are most excited about their Christian faith are Christians who are engaged with God's activity in the world. No comparison. And, this, and, and the messes that we see around us that people create for themselves or they have no control over, it really is, as we said early on, as you said, it's an opportunity, but it's not simply an opportunity to simply help someone. It's the opportunity of engagement, which is the essence of the Christian experience. Yep. And, you know, I've tried all sorts of stuff over the years. I've just never found a richer, more satisfying way to live than being engaged in what God's doing in the world. And I'm not very good at it yet, but you know what? It gives me a real great reason to get up every morning, Mm. the prospect of participating in what God's doing in the world. We have lots of people who attend our churches or who watch who are considering Christianity or, you know, they just think we have good public speakers, you know, and motivational speakers. And so you're not so sure about the Jesus thing, but this is an invitation for everybody, right? I mean, there's a win for people of any faith and of non-faith when it comes to addressing the mess, right? Yeah, this is, this is a cool thing. There's a couple things to think about. First of all... Um, even if you're not a Christian and you help people, that's still a win. I mean, I, pretty much every worldview in the world puts a high value on helping people. So, and again, if it was just that, it would be enough. But there's a, a second cool thing, I think, for, for non-Christians. So let's say you're a non-Christian and you're going, you know, I'm curious about that. What is that like? You know, I'm not quite ready to start reading the Bible and praying, but is there something I can do to kind of test drive what it's like to follow Jesus? And the answer is yes. You can start to move toward the mess. So you just think about your circle of acquaintance. There's going to be suffering people in there. Sometimes the suffering is horrendous. Sometimes it's minor, but they're there. And you can just say, okay, I'm going to try this. I'm going to test drive this. I'm going to move in their direction. I'm just going to be with them. I'm going to listen. I'm not going to try to fix them. I'm just going to try to walk along by their side. Mm. And you can try this for a week. You can try it for a month. You can try it for a year. But if you'll do that, you'll have an accurate experience of what it's like to follow Jesus because that's a lot of what Jesus is doing in the world. Absolutely. Um, in your book, you give some specific examples. Um, there's examples of neighborhood things. There's friendship things. I mean, again, we don't have to sit here and, and think up, huh, 
a person that has a mess. I can't really think of anybody. I mean, it's everywhere. But you, you give some very specific examples that I think kind of prime the pump as it relates to application for us. Well, there's a few things. First of all, there's a ton of people in this room that are doing a great job. In a whole bunch of rooms, actually. In a whole bunch of rooms. That's right. That's right. For example, um, small group leaders. I mean, you guys are rock stars at this. You know, you, you lead a group of people. When, the things are, when things are good, when things are bad, you're there walking with them. Starting point leaders, which of course are my personal favorites, given my job description, these guys are rock stars at this. They'll walk into a group of people who have some significant questions about faith, which is great. Sometimes they've had some bad experiences in other churches and they're just willing to walk along with folks as they try to sort this all out. And we could go on and on. There's all sorts of great examples on all of our campuses of people that are doing this. For those of you that lead small groups for children's transit or inside out, think about it. You walk in, you're handed a list of kids, you get to know these kids. In some cases, you're with them two or three years and you know this. In the course of two or three years with a middle schooler or a high schooler, they're going to step into some messes, create some messes, be pulled into some messes and the fact that you are there with them and you know, there's again, there's not a bow a lot of times, but your presence with them in the day-to-day messes that, you know, every adolescent faces, that's exactly, that's exactly what we're talking about. Yep. It's good stuff. So as I was doing the research for this book, I came across a guy named Steve Kamershin. And Steve is, uh, attends here at Buckhead Church. And he, uh, a long time ago, signed up to be uh, a mentor at uh, Woodson Elementary School. And uh, we have a ton of people mentoring over at that school. And he got uh, connected with this little guy, like a first or second grader. The guy's name is the J-Man. I just love that name, the J-Man. It sounds like a superhero to me. So Steve started spending time with the J-Man once a month. And uh, the J-Man always says, hey, and it went really well, but he said, could we do something together on, a, on the weekend, like on a Saturday? Can we go to the zoo or could we go to a, a museum or something? And Steve would always have to say, well, we can't, you know, we can't find your mom to talk to, so until we talk to her, we can't do this. So finally, they caught up uh, with the J-Man's mom, and she said, yeah, you can, you can take the J-Man to the zoo. And so um, they did. And I want to read you an a, um, a excerpt from an email that Steve sent us about this. And he says this. When I went to pick him up, it was worse than I expected. About eight people appeared to be living at the apartment. There were mattresses on the floor. The kitchen was all busted up. There were empty beer cans everywhere. There was guys smoking dope upstairs. And then I met his mom. She seemed very nice, but the situation was not. We left, and he asked me if we could go eat, so we went up the street for breakfast. We then went to the Imaginate Children's Museum. We had a great time. He asked to eat again, so we went to dinner. It breaks my heart that he needs food. Mm. This is in Atlanta. We had another outing with his mom's permission the following week. We went to the park and then out to eat. He kept asking me for a white box. I finally figured out that the last time we'd been out, it was a white box that he used to take food home. He just was hungry. Mm. His mom texted me shortly afterwards and told me I was making a big difference in his life. Thanks so much for giving me the chance to connect with the J-Man. I am the winner in this whole thing. And if Steve were up here, he would say, yeah, it's inconvenient. Yeah, it gets a little bit uncomfortable. And yeah, I'm not in control of the J-Man's circumstances. But who cares? 
I get to be with the J-man. And it's made all the difference, not only in the J-man's life, but in Steve's life as well. Wow. Do you think Steve prays for him? Every no night? question. Every day? Probably five times Imagine a day. the emotion that he experiences as a Christian because of this one mess that he chose to step into. And you know, who I, you know what I bet triggers his prayers for the J-man is when Steve's with his kids. Yeah, wow, wow. Okay, um, next steps. I mean, where do we start? I mean, again, as you're listening, people are coming to mind. You're, you're kind of hating this to some extent. You're feeling all that same resistance we all feel like, oh, I'm uncomfortable, it's inconvenient, you know, all this stuff. Where do we start? Where do we go from here? Well, a couple things to think about. First of all, we want to talk about moving towards a mess, not every mess. In fact, I'd like to read this out loud to make sure we don't go by this too quickly. Yes, because there's somebody sitting here and their husband's like, I knew it. And the wife's like, oh, why did we come today? Or vice versa. Or boyfriend or girlfriend. girlfriend. Because there are certain personalities that's like, we want to solve everybody's problem and I want to spend all my money and all my time. So if this, for this to work effectively, it is A, not every. A, not every. There's part of you, part of, you know, some of the people in the room don't want to even have an A, and there are other people of you that want to have an every. So it's A, not every. I think I've beat that course to death. Okay, no, sorry. Well, we get it. This yeah, is a big deal, it. yeah. The, the thing, what I've seen is if, um, if you try to do too much, two things happen. First of all, you burn out, and secondly, you start to make a mess of your own life and your family's life. And boy, I learned that the hard way. So this is really, really important yeah, in that so regard. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Yeah, yeah, so try to go deep with a few people or a few things and don't feel guilty about the rest. This is key. You know, guilt is not a great reason to do anything. Nobody ever followed Jesus because they were guilty. It's because they wanted to. So don't feel guilty about all the messes that you can't move toward. God's not asking us to change the world. He's just, that's his job. He's just asking us to walk along with the few people that he brings alongside. And yes, sometimes those are homeless people. Sometimes they're on the other side of the world. But as often as not, they're your neighbor. They're people you walk with, you know, every day. They're people that God brings across your path. What else? Well, here's, here, this is key. This last thing is key. Don't wait Go now. Don't wait. Go now. Think about your circle of relationships. There are people out there that are suffering. There are people out there that are in the weeds. There are people out there that are in deep trouble. Sometimes the trouble's not hugely deep, but it's still painful nonetheless. They're there. They're in your life already. They're in your neighborhood. They're at the office. They're at school. They're in your sorority or your fraternity. They're on your basketball team. They're with the guys you play cards with on Friday nights. They're there. Some of you are thinking, however, that, well, I've got to get my act together first. And you know what? You don't. You don't have to get your act together first to do this. Here's the crazy thing about this. God uses messy people to love messy people. If he didn't use messy... Thank you. If, if he didn't use that was messy... all the messy people going, that's amen right, yeah. to that, baby. Amen to that. That's right. <laughs> if he didn't use messy people to love messy people, nobody would ever get loved because we are all messy. That's the only kind of people he's got to work with, messy people. <laughs> it's going to be inconvenient. Go anyway. 
It's going to be uncomfortable. Go anyway. You're not going to be in control. That's okay. God's going to be in control. What would it look like if all of us right now decided that we were no longer going to be those people who passed by suffering on the side of the road? What would it look like if we said, I am going to make time for the messy people that God brings across my life? What would that look like? I'll tell you what, it would be a game changer for thousands of people and it would also be a game changer for us. Because this is what God's doing in the world. He is moving towards the mess and the thing we want you to leave with this morning is that he wants to do that through you. Let's thank John. Wow. Thank you, John. Father, at times we come to gatherings like this and um, because, you know, we grow in our love for you, in our worship, in our knowledge of you. And yet, as Jesus challenges us when he summarizes all of the scriptures, we're called to love you and our neighbor and how that fits in together and how you call us uh, and challenge us, confront us that if we do not love others, how can we say we love you? As you, you teach us that later in the New Testament. So God, may we, may we grow in love towards you and towards others. May we recognize your great love for us in the messes that we've been in or are in or will be in, the state of humanity. And uh, may we be open um, in increasing ways uh, to the messes around us, at least engaging a mess, not every mess. So for some of us here, God, that land on different sides of this pendulum, some of us maybe that are, are, are fearful even to step into one mess, may you lead us and guide us as we heard, don't be afraid, go, step in. And then some of us, maybe that land on the every mess side, and we, maybe we're just overwhelmed by uh, serving and helping so many different things and getting involved in too many messes. Lord, would you give us wisdom and guidance in that um, to be, kind of, be the kind of people in community um, that loves you and loves others. And give us wisdom as we move forward into another season in ways collectively as we even were asked today to serve Uh, in partnership in the neighborhood. We thank you for this, God. And we thank you for this promise that you you leave to us in the Gospels. Lord, when, when it was responded to love you and love others, God, you told us, Jesus said, do this and you will live. Lord, we long for life. And may we discover this life as we follow Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.